This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to talk about today. I'll have Phil Miller covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. He'll be on here in just a couple minutes, kind of wrapping up that season. The home part of the schedule is done. Just a few games left, and Phil cannot wait. But until that comes... Um, kind of an off-season primer. What what do they need to do, what do they need to do to get better in 2022? Starts with pitching, pitching, pitching. Also have Kerry Tollison on the show today, Minnesota runner, talking about this weekend's uh, Twin Cities Marathon and all that comes with that. Enjoyed that conversation and hope you will as well. But first, quickly, what did I miss? Injury of the year, Devin Williams, pitcher for Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers clinched the other day, Sunday, clinched the NL Central title. They have 95 wins, having a really good year, heading into the playoffs, going to need all hands on deck to try to get past whoever they are going to face. Some tough competition over there. Giants and Dodgers both have over 100 wins in the National League. Apparently, Devin Williams, in his own words, had a few drinks after the game, went home, got angry about something, and, quote, I was a little frustrated, upset, and I punched a wall. That's how it happened, it being breaking his pitching hand, fracture in his pitching hand after punching a wall. I got a lot of thoughts about this. Um, glad that he came, glad that he came clean, first of all. Whenever something like this happens, there's probably a temptation for an athlete to make up a story. And who knows if this is the whole story, but there's the temptation to, to, to try to blame it on something else. We... Uh, Famously had um, you know, knuckle push-ups here with, with Kevin Love. Still never quite sure if that's exactly how he came to be injured. Um, plenty of other famous injuries in the past. But uh, b- big picture, uh, that's, that's a blow for the Brewers. 8-2 and two with a 2.50 ERA, 87 strikeouts in 54 innings. Uh, Devin Williams has as kind of their top setup man, giving them a really good bullpen uh bullpen uh, compliment to Josh Hader righty lefty uh combo down there so uh that that'll be tough for uh, that'll be tough for for the brewers going into uh going into the postseason so uh, kind of one of those things you can't really believe that it happened but it did happen and uh i guess the twins would love to have that problem of i guess of, of someone getting injured right before the playoffs they don't have to worry about that at all this year like to welcome back to Daily Delivery, Phil Miller. It's been a little while since we talked twins, Phil. Um, probably because for about three months, they've been kind of playing out the string here and the games themselves haven't been as meaningful. Kind of after the trade deadline, the uh, the games meant less and less. Um, first of all, how you doing? How's, how's, how's it feel that the finish line is in sight? It's funny because the last two years are all about gearing up for the playoffs. Who are they going to play? You know, it, it, internally travel plan, coverage plans, and and this year uh, uh, I I've forgotten how without the energy of the playoffs to uh, keep you going in September, how the uh, the season seems much longer and much uh, more draining as you get to the end. Uh, the last few weeks, uh, they've had a lot of games on the road, and uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm ready for the finish line. I, uh, I I have to say I've been counting it down for the last uh, twelve games or so. Well, it's almost it's almost there. Surprising to me that they've played reasonably well since the trade deadline. I think they're about five hundred in August and September. You've seen some of the 
you know, bad teams of the last decade really fall apart. Um, you know, as they've kind of played out the string, not that this is a, a moral victory, but, um, two of the reasons probably that they've performed at least reasonably well in that stretch is Bailey Ober and Joe Ryan. They're two, the two young pitchers that you can point to in the rotation right now, and certainly not, you know, sure things for 2022, but two guys that you've seen and say, okay, this is maybe the start of a plan for 2022. That said, there's only, there are only two guys and they're two young guys who could easily have a, a regression as the league starts to figure them out. What, as we think about the off season, as we think about those two bright spots um, on an otherwise forgettable season, how did the twins start to put together a pitching plan for 2022? Cause it doesn't seem like the starting pitching free agent market is all that robust or at least robust in the spots the twins might capitalize on. So how do they kind of, if they're going to try to fix this on the fly, how do they, how do they kind of navigate that piece of it? Well, you know, they've kind of made a habit of uh, throwing uh, one and two year contracts at uh, aging pitchers. Uh, How about uh, trying to uh, entice Max Scherzer to uh, Minnesota? You think the, you think the twins would ever pony up, uh, $28, $30 $28, $30 million a year for uh, a superstar pitcher. Uh, that's probably just a dream. I don't think he's uh, leaving L.A., but that's uh, you're right. The free agent market is uh, will be interesting. Their track record of bringing in guys, uh, you know, aging guys that uh, might still have something left to try to turn them around uh, really, really cost them this year. Uh, Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker, uh were uh, just a huge part of the reason that this uh, season went south uh, early, them and uh, coincidentally, uh, the bullpen. So um, you have to say Bailey Ober and uh, now Joe Ryan are the biggest successes of the season. Uh, They have established they are big league quality and uh, middle of the rotation, big league quality. I think you pencil them in for – 25 starts a piece next year. And uh, I think you feel pretty good about it. The other three spots um, they're going to have to figure out uh, probably the trade market and probably uh, deal some of the stockpile that they have, uh, that they have now of young pitching. Uh, But it's going to have to be, uh, it's probably the biggest off season that uh, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine has faced as far as meeting big, uh, game-changing moves uh, around the team. Yeah, like you mentioned, the kind of the, the history of how they've gone about trying to acquire pitching. The, the the less successful route has been. You're right. The the bargain bin. Maybe they hit a little bit on Michael Pineda. That that work that has worked out to a, a reasonable degree when he's been healthy and available. He's been a a pretty good pitcher here, I would say. But they're you know, probably they're more recent success story before he got hurt, obviously was, was Kent Ameda. And do we, is he expected to miss all of next year? Is that kind of what we're thinking based on the timing of his injury and his surgery? He's thinking not he's uh, optimistic. He thinks he's a, a, a good candidate for a quick bounce back. He's a good athlete. Uh, um, but it's, you know, you're left with how to pencil that in, uh, you know, the, the recovery uh, happens at its own schedule. I think they hope he can make a few starts after the all-star break. Um, certainly, uh, you know, almost certainly not before uh, June or July. 
Um, so I don't, that's, you know, it's a difficult situation. You can pencil him in, you can consider him a part of the rotation in 2023, but I think you probably have to just put him out of mind next year that he's not going to be back and anything he gives you is a bonus. As you think about the trade market, you mentioned, you know, dealing some of their, maybe some of the stockpile of young pitching that they, a lot of which they got at the deadline and some of which they'd already developed themselves. Is that a more likely route or do you think they would trade, you know, position players from the major league roster right now? And, you know, specifically if you think of a guy like Josh Donaldson, who has has played well, uh, has had a good season, but is on a team now that is probably on a trajectory different than the one that he thought he was signing with when he, when he did sign that four-year deal before the 2020 season. Yeah. The Donaldson problem is an unusual one. Uh, nothing, nothing about him really changed. He, uh, he has been the player they thought he, uh, he was uh, outside of the uh, stretch of injury and the unfortunate injury right at the end. So he wasn't uh, in the playoffs. Uh, he has, uh, he's, absolutely uh, been what they thought he was. The trouble is the team isn't. The context has changed. He was supposed to be the, the piece that put them over the top, and uh, now they're nowhere near the top, and you, you wonder if, uh, if a team like this needs a uh, $23 million, $22 million uh, third baseman um, when they do have other candidates uh, to, uh, to move into that, uh, Jose Miranda being the big one. Uh, the trouble is uh, that contract is is going to strike everyone as big, and uh, I don't know how much of it uh, they're going to be willing to eat to get something back in the uh, in a trade. Um, I, I I can totally see him coming back next year if uh, if there's no way for them to get out from under the money they still owe him. Um, you mentioned Jose Miranda. It seems like they've got more corner infield options than they do shortstop options right now. And that's, you know, in addition to trying to figure out the starting pitching and of course, you know, the bullpen too. So all of the pitching, I guess, shortstop is a looming question. They, they kind of thought they had a plan. They signed Andrelton Simmons to the one-year contract thinking, okay, that's the bridge to Royce Lewis, then Royce Lewis gets hurt, misses an entire year. What's what do you think they is it another one year thing? Do you think they try to do they try to just hand it to Lewis and figure 2022 is a a learning year anyway? Or how do you think they saw try to solve shortstop next year because it did not work this year with with Simmons? Yeah, they had it. Uh, they had it all figured, didn't they? They had it all uh, all planned out. Royce Lewis spends this year in AAA, comes up in uh, in August or September, and uh, takes over the job. And uh, mentored by Andrelton Simmons, it was all going to work so well. And then then it snowed in Dallas, and now uh, uh, the the Twins' luck with this is just so uh, so unfortunate. Uh, now they have to wonder if. A guy with a with, who's had serious knee surgery is he a shortstop anymore? He was always a cross your fingers and and he might be it, um, but yeah, another guy that they can't really count on next year. I guess the solution is to uh, is, is to find another stopgap. I mean, uh, I, I don't think uh, Anderson Simmons is is uh, an option anymore. It's pretty clear that he's not uh, the hitter uh, that they need him to be that they need, uh, in their lineup. Um, and the 
intriguing part about this offseason is that there are so many shortstops that are are big time uh, frontline shortstops available. Uh, Story from Colorado. Uh, um, Seeger is on the market uh, if he goes. Uh, Simeon um, again too, right? Uh, Simeon has been playing second base, uh, okay. but he still clearly considers himself a shortstop. He is a free agent. Uh, the talk when we were in Toronto was that he really likes it there and uh, would like to remain a Blue Jay, but um, you know he's probably a, a, a nine-figure guy now. They're going to have to Whoever signs him is going to have to be thinking, you know, in the neighborhood somewhere between 100 and 150 million dollar commitment for him. He's still young, but you know, would the Twins make that kind of commitment to a shortstop with Royce Lewis maybe in the wings, with Austin Martin having been acquired in the Braille's trade, maybe in the wings? Um, you know, this is. Uh, to me, the, the answer is to try to get by with uh, Jorge Polanco back at shortstop. I mean, he's he's not uh, an ideal shortstop, although he, only two years ago he was the American League All-Star shortstop. Uh, he's probably not built for it. He has been uh, a real success at second base. It's allowed him to, to settle in at the plate. I think uh, that has something to do with his success there. But absent the the will and the money to go get a uh, top of the line uh, shortstop um, he might be the best stop stopgap possibility while they uh, while they wait for one of their triple uh, a shortstops to prove he's ready a couple more things for you Phil um, you know as we I think we talked about Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober what, what else would you consider? a success this year or you know something that you can say look at this this is something that we want to see more of or this is a foundational thing for 2022 boy it's a it's a short list it is uh, isn't it over it over and riot are i mean it, you know the biggest successes might have been the trade deadline uh, austin martin looks like uh it won't be long i, I think uh i think he's definitely uh, you know here in uh, 2023 it's but the list of disappointments is so much longer uh, Larnock and Kirilov uh, not getting a, a full year in the big leagues not showing that they're uh, that they're ready um, um, it, you know Byron Buxton do you consider this a great year uh, he was great when he played um, I it's it's been a great year for Byron Buxton because he's established that uh, that he is worth the big contract that he's worth uh, what someone is probably going to pay him uh, a year from now, if not sooner. Um, and, and that team might be the twins. I think maybe they were convinced, uh, you know, has it been a good year for Miguel Sano? It's been a good end of the year. And he promises that the changes he's made are permanent, but he was so terrible in April and May. Uh, you know, he's another guy that uh, they don't know that they can trust. Um, um, so who is the, uh, who, who is the, Success story of the year in the lineup, uh, you know, I guess Buxton just for August and September, we got another look at how good the team is uh, with him in the middle of it. But yeah, success is not a word that's going to be attached to uh, 2021 around the twins very much. Last thought. I, I, I don't see much of a path unless they really 
just completely nail the offseason somehow with the pitching. But do you see a path where they are like at least a wild card contender in 2022? Or is this a let's get better and, and gear up for 2023 kind of uh, approach at this point? Were it me, that would be my approach because uh, they they seem so helpless in so many games. Uh, so uh, even in this good stretch, uh, there are nights when uh, if the wrong guy is on the mound, uh, they're, uh, they, they don't seem competitive. The, the eye-opening thing about September to me was we went to t- Toronto, we went to New York. Um, those teams have really, really scary lineups uh, that uh, the Twins pitching did a reasonable job, uh, eh, reasonable in uh, holding them down. By comparison, the Twins lineup, while full of potential, while having a couple of, uh, of intriguing spots, um, boy, they just can't match up. And the lineup is the strength of this team. Uh, it's the pitching that they have to go out and get. To me, I start thinking more about Royce Lewis and Austin Martin and uh, and try to uh, put pieces around there. I, I just don't see how the pitching staff bounces back from this uh, this year. You know, they wound up with none of the pitchers they expected in the rotation uh, having big years. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, there are, as we speak, there are nine pitchers on the sixth day injured list that to me kind of sums up this year um i don't see how you bounce back in one year from all of that i would tend to agree and i hope you bounce back quickly from 2021 and get some downtime very soon phil miller good stuff we'll uh we'll chat down the road maybe once we get into a off-season hot stove talk as they like to say I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Carrie Tollefson, longtime uh, member of the Minnesota national, international running scene. Um, Want to talk Twin Cities Marathon with Carrie. Uh, Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I mean, I'm excited. The race is right around the corner and happy to be back with everybody pounding the streets of the Twin Cities. It is nice to be talking about the marathon again, albeit, you know, it's a little different format this year, limited limited entries a little bit and you know the the prize money not there but just right off the bat like how, how nice it is how nice is it to have this event back i feel like we're talking about that with a lot of different things that are now back yeah i think it's really nice you know for a lot of us the running community is like family and we haven't seen a lot of our our family members for years you know it's it's almost 2 years that have passed since the last one well it will be exactly 2 years and so um, you know, even when we were in Duluth for grandma's marathon, it was so fun to see people and maybe we aren't hugging or, you know, doing high fives, but just seeing people that we haven't seen at the races. So I think a lot of people are ready to get out there and, and to hear their names be yelled and run along their family members and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm really excited. 
Now, the last time you um, last time you ran this race two years ago, you finished in a little under two hours, 52 minutes. That is very fast. I've done this race a couple of times, albeit more recreationally paced than that. What are your kind of uh, expectations going into this year with kind of a different field and, you know, a, a, a maybe a different outlook, I would imagine? Yeah, you know, I have every expectation to just go out and have fun. <laughs> that's a good, you know? that's a good one, which is not yes. always easy to do at a marathon. Let's be no, honest. No, it isn't. But, you know, for me, my expectations of winning and, you know, bringing home a paycheck and that kind of thing, that's, that's done for, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting that anymore, but I will have fun and race hard, you know, like, we're going to talk for most of the race. Cause that's what you should be able to do for most of the marathon. But then once the Hills start, once we get over to St. Thomas area, that's where the focus that I used to use the entire race when I was competing internationally. Um, I think it'll come out, you know, last time I raced here, I, I did have fun for most of the race. And then I locked in right when we were climbing up to St. Thomas and I almost forgot to wave at my kids. Like I didn't even see them. <laughs> and that was one spot. They were waiting for me. They were all alone right there with my husband. And my husband almost had to wake me up and say, Carrie, your kids are right here. So, you know, I have moments where I go back to that competitive athlete, but really right now I'm just trying to have fun and, and to see that I can still do it. Well, that's a good point. Cause you and I, I've been just in doing a little bit of research. You and I are like almost the exact same age. We're both 44 how have you been able to kind of maintain this level? I know distance running, you know, you can, you can be elite for a long time, but how have you managed to stay in this, you know, sub three hour marathon, you know, class for, for so long? Well, I would have to say, so I do this thing called the Carrie Tullison long run challenge. And it is a type of training that I picked up after I had my last baby. So Greer was 10 weeks old and I started doing whatever he was in weeks, I would run in miles. So when okay. he was, so he was 10 weeks, I'd run a 10 mile. And then I increased by one mile each week as he gets one week older. So I started doing that. And that became sort of, I don't know, I would do two or three challenges a year. So I would go from 10 miles to 20 miles. And all of a sudden, I realized I was getting pretty fit off of doing this long run challenge. And so, you know, that's kind of where it's, it was more like, let's see if I can handle this. And now I'm using it for training. And so, you know, it's, there's not a real specific training that I'm doing anymore. It's just getting out the door, breathing the fresh air, having some me time, you know, getting away from the craziness at home, but also kind of clearing my head from the craziness of work and just enjoying this beautiful place that we get to call home of Minnesota. A lot of people are like, why would you train in Minnesota? Well, it's absolutely gorgeous. We just have like six weeks out of the year. That's pretty tough. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so, so my training is just, it's sort of like, I hate to say it's, it's my therapy, but it is, it's my fun. It's my way to get through tough times, but it's also a way for me to build confidence and tackle hard things in life. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about with getting away from the kids. I have three of them, seven, four, and one. And uh, yep. running is definitely a nice, uh, a nice little break. Although sometimes I have the one-year-old with me. How, how old in weeks is, is your, is, is you say Greer? Oh, was that his, was that? The yeah. Name? Okay. Do I need to, I need to ask Alexa or Siri? No, it's okay. Well, I, I was just, 
five and a half years old. <laughs> so you're not still doing the week's challenge with him. <laughs> that would be like no more. Yeah. So no, we have a five and a half year old, an eight year old and an 11 year old. So okay. girl, boy, boy. Yeah. We go girl, girl, boy. Um, nice. so it sounds like you're, well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. Um, one of, one of the people you maybe just, we, we could talk about a little bit in terms of like the running community, M- Maria Hauger, another one who's kind of part of this, going to be part of this race. I've, I understand you guys have been, you know, communicating a lot in the lead up to this, you guys hoping to have some both fun, but also some competitive fun on, on Sunday. Well, this is what I told her in the text that she asked, you know, sort of what I was going to be trying to run. And I said, well, maybe around 253 to 255. Um, And I know that, you know, that would be a good race for her, but I think she's a little bit fitter. So she might try to go a little faster. But I said, listen, I want to just tell you, Marie, we, Ben Camp, who is going to be running with me, he's my training partner. um, We can't discuss times because he's there with me. But I said, we're going to be having fun. We're going to be talking about, politics, finances, whatever you talk about on a run. That's fun. Gets, talking politics is fun. No, I hate okay. it. Okay. It, it passes the time. Got it. Right. Yes. And he gets very fired up. So it's kind of fun to just let him talk. And then I don't have to talk as much. Um, so we will just be having a blast, probably talking about, you know, funny outfits that pass us and stuff like that. So I told her, if you want to be by chatty people, come run with us. If you need it quiet, maybe go to the other side of the road. So she has an option and um, sounds like she wants to hear the chatter. Okay. And I think we'll be there together for a little bit of it, but you know, Maria is such a good runner and it's so fun. I think she has eight state championships. I have 13, you know, she came from a different era. She's quite a bit younger than you and I are, but you know, just to be back in the same race with her is, is super fun. Now I, I, I've like I said, I've I've done this race a couple of times. I've done a few other marathons. I kind of got swept up in kind of that marathon boom that maybe happened 10, 15, little, even a few more years before that. Is that still like the dominant distance race? Or do you feel like 10 mile half marathon? Where are we at with what people are wanting to do right now? Do you think? Well, I think the 10 mile here is everyone loves that race. I have yet to run the 10 mile. I've done, when I graduated for marathons last time I did was 2015, I started doing the 10 mile a lot. And I tell you what you take, you take out the hardest parts of the marathon. It is a, that is a beautiful 10 miles right there. Although you still have to climb. Yeah, kind of, but you, yeah, but you skip like, you just kind of like, you just, it's a short, it's a shortcut. So it's kind of nice, yeah. but yeah, you do have to it climb. Is. The St. Paul part is still there. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the 10 mile and the half marathon distance is, you know, getting pretty popular, but there's something about the marathon. I think it's a, it's a, a distance that is hard for everybody, whether you're new or you've been doing this for ages and, you know, just so many things can happen within the marathon. You know, it's a, it just seems like, you know, you can have good moments, bad moments. You work through emotions, you work through relationship stuff. Like you meet new friends. Maybe some people meet a new partner in life. Like there's just time for things to happen in the marathon. So I do think people will always kind of gravitate towards that. Now, you know, someone like you who's been there, done that might gravitate more back to the middle distance there of the half marathon or the 10 mile. It's a little bit more doable to train for those half marathons. You know, you're not out there nearly as long You can get it done before work type thing. Um, but 
I like doing a marathon once every two to four years. That seems to be my rate. And, um, and you know, I, I think for me, I, when I tackle the marathon, it's, it's a mentality shift, you know, having to devote myself to doing a long run one day, every seven to 10 days for 12, 16 weeks. I like that. I like feeling accomplished when I walk in the door and say, I was out there for 20 miles today. That's something hard. And I did it. So I think I'll always have 26.2 kind of lingering, but I take my time in between them. Yeah. I feel, you know, I don't feel like anybody who's ever done a marathon has ever definitively said they've done their last one. So you never, you never know. Right. Um, Carrie Tolleson enjoying this conversation. Last thing for you, any, just for even, you know, the fastest runners, the, the beginning runners who are doing their first marathon, what, what's your, what's your race day advice or kind of thing that you try to keep in mind as you're running these races? You know, I think just keep in mind that we're all there in it together. You know, it's a, it really is a special moment and, you know, you might meet somebody, like I said, and have a lifelong friendship, or you are just going to remember that conversation that you might've had with somebody along the way. But I will, I will always cherish my marathons. I don't do that many, like I said, but enjoy it. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the ups and downs. You know, for me, my whole career, I learned so much about perseverance and, you know, as a runner, it's always hard. Even our easy days are still challenging. And, you know, when you look at that and you come back in the door and you realize, and you look at yourself in the mirror, you realize that you've still done something hard for the day, whether it was a 20 minute run or a 20 mile run, it's still an accomplishment. And, you know, I, I just, I really believe in the run. I believe in what it does for you as a person. I believe it makes you confident and powerful and um, compassionate. And, you know, you just, you're surrounding yourself with these positive, like-minded goal-driven people. And so I can't say enough about it. You know, you don't have to be fast. You can walk more than you run. I don't care. Um, I'm just happy to be a part of this community. Yeah. Now I want to go do it. You stop it. You're making me want to do another one. Quit it. <laughs> Come well, on. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Just no training. Just, you know, my usual four mile runs. I'll just hop into 26. It'll be no problem. <laughs> no problem. Well, well, good luck to you on Sunday and to everybody else that's running. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today and uh, yeah, have a, have fun on Sunday. Okay. Thanks so much. I kind of want to get out there again, you guys. It's making me kind of get that itch again. I've done five marathons, but the last one was in 2015. So we'll see. Do I have another one in me uh, in in some 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 time in the in the future? I don't know. Um, it's a lot to train for it. I can't just like you know, I I could, but I can't just like pick it up right away and then you know just go run a marathon. I mean, maybe I could, but I would be in extreme pain. But the the training for it is so it takes so long. It's such a process uh, that that part of it is the part that scares me more than race day. So I don't know. If you got any marathon stories, I'd love to hear them. Hit me up at Randball on Twitter or email me, michael.rand at startribune.com. And uh, we can we can commiserate about our marathon experiences. Let's finish with the cooler. Minnesota United lost 3-1 to D.C. United on uh, on Wednesday Depth was a concern in that game. Uh, maybe the alignment was a concern, too. We'll talk to John Marthaler more about that on Friday's show, as well as Mark Craig's NFL picks. I'll talk to him about that as well. And uh, and some Kevin Stefanski stuff with Mark Craig, too, with that big Vikings-Browns game coming up on Sunday. That'll do it for me today. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Rand. We'll get you again on Friday. 